So after a bit of a hiatus for Holy Week and Easter and the Sunday after, we'll return to our exploration as we try to link a uh, specific spiritual practice to the seven churches listed in Revelation. And when I embarked on this, I really didn't intend for this series to bookend Easter. Uh, but we had snow and ice and cold, cold weather. And so I got, uh, I got thrown off by about two weeks. So we have two churches left to go. And, and maybe, it's a, uh, maybe it's an over-attempt at a glass-half-full mentality, but I'll go ahead and give it a try. I think that it, in some ways it makes sense. It makes sense for us to, to think about uh, our, our, our track towards and our commitment to being people of godliness and of resurrection and how those two are obviously very much intertwined for this series to uh, really the bulk of it to take place before Easter for us to remember the resurrection and then to wrap it up uh, here over these next two weeks. So hopefully it is, uh, it is helpful for you. We want to remind ourselves though again that these practices are not keys to unlock some sort of uh, metaphorical spiritual door. They are instead intentional experiences of God's presence. And as we are in God's presence, we are naturally transformed. It is putting ourselves in the presence of God in very intentional ways through these practices of our spiritual lives. In terms of the ground that we've covered to date, just a very quick recap, and I realize that my pairing is very subjective Someone else could look at these churches and say, no, I think, I think this church would be best served with a focus on this spiritual practice, or, or this one may work better with this practice, and, 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 and anyone would be really just as legitimate as, as mine are. I think that the links we've been able to make, though, make some, uh, some amount of sense. But our list to date was as follows. Ephesus, meditation, the city and church of Smyrna and simplicity, Pergamum and study, Thyatira and fasting, and then Sardis is the last one we did almost a month ago now with a focus on prayer. Maybe you've been able to incorporate or at least begin to, to think of incorporating some of these into your own lives. I, I hope so. I intend actually this next year to, to focus on one per month. And I'm not going to preach about it. I'm not going to talk about it much probably after after next week. But maybe that would be something for you to think about too. Maybe during the month of May, you could take up the practice of prayer. Or June, the practice of meditation, whatever it may be. But just be open to, to how you can continue to allow these opportunities to place yourself in God's presence to be true of your life. With five covered though, we're left with just two more. They are the ancient city of Philadelphia, not to be confused with the city in Pennsylvania, although the two, obviously the, the one in Pennsylvania is named after the one uh, in the ancient world. And then the city and the church of Laodicea. So here are these words from Revelation 3 regarding the church in Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. 
Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God, from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear, for the Spirit says to the churches. So, this city of Philadelphia, I'll see if I can do again what Elijah taught me a couple weeks ago. There we go. Here it is, right here. You can see some of the other cities that we've talked about on this map. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, we'll talk about Laodicea next week, and Philadelphia. You'll note Philadelphia's position is further east than most of these others that are closer to, I think this would be the Mediterranean, in ancient day Turkey. The positioning of Philadelphia in that city was extremely significant. It could, in fact, be viewed as something of a border town. Not in the way that we would classically think of it, but think of it as a border between Europe, so on our map at least, that'd be over here, and the east, the far east portion of the world, maybe modern-day Asia as we would think of it. It also commanded one of the greatest highways in the world, the one that linked those two continents, at least as we would understand them today. Something of a gateway from one city to the other. St. Louis, right? Isn't, isn't, don't they consider themselves the, the gateway city between the east and the west? Not a bad, not a bad example. One scholar referred to it as a missionary city well before the gospel. So think about, think about the ancient world prior to the Roman Empire. It was the Greeks who ruled much of the world. And the Greeks saw Philadelphia as the primary route through which they could spread Hellenism or Greek culture, including obviously worship of the Greek gods. They thought that for Hellenism to spread east, that Philadelphia was a major portion or a major city in those, in those efforts. Now in the fullness of time, remember that verse we usually read around Christmas time from Galatians where, where Paul writes, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, and he goes on from there. In the fullness of time, Philadelphia, rather than spreading a gospel of Hellenism, was also perfectly situated to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The gospel that had originated in 
Jerusalem and had begun to spread as Jesus said that it would. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. To get to the very ends of the earth, you had to have a way to get there. Philadelphia was a major element of that in the first century and among first century churches. Its location beyond just geography was impactful to the people in that city. It existed, and it doesn't show it on the map that we have, but it existed on the edge of a great volcanic area. And even though it experienced tremendous prosperity, as it was located in a very fertile area of the world, it was also subject to very violent earthquakes. In fact, it's believed that as recently as 17 AD, so during the life of Christ, but before his crucifixion, around 17 AD, there was a catastrophic earthquake that occurred, and the city was devastated. Well, at that point, the Greek Empire was gone, the Roman Empire had taken over, and the Romans, in part, wanting to maintain, in some ways, a loyalty from the people of Philadelphia to the Empire of Rome, had helped them rebuild the city. So that by the time of Christ's death and the beginning of the spread of the gospel, Revelation is probably written somewhere between 60 and 80 A.D. Philadelphia had been restored. But you think about that. Think about the impact, even psychologically, that the devastation of a city after a natural disaster. Even, when did Katrina happen? 06, 05, 06, 04, somewhere around there. Even now, I heard, I heard people talking about Katrina this week. We're moving to 15, 16 years later. Okay? Think about places where, well, I mean, even, even, even this area with some of the places that you can go and, and still see marks of the flooding. Right? That sticks with people. And it certainly stuck with the, the folk in the city of Philadelphia. And so what they would do because of where it was located and because of where it was placed relative to the hills around it, if there was a tremor of an earthquake, they would flee. They would, they would leave the city for the purpose of, of self-preservation. Did you catch in, in Revelation, in the, in the text that we read, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. Most people think that folks in Philadelphia would catch, oh, oh yeah, our rhythm is to, to run out and then come back in once everything is declared safe. To run out when there's the tremor of an earthquake, and I think, I, I, I don't blame them. If, if, <laughs> if I'd experienced that, I wouldn't want to hang around to see what round two was like. But then to, to come back when it was declared safe. The Lord is, is saying to the church, you can have a, a certainty a consistency, a stability because of your faith. It's interesting that this church was one of very few of the seven who received a word from the Lord Jesus who did not also have within that message a, but I hold this against you. But you're kind of messing up on this part of your walk with me. They don't include it in a lot of ways. They're, they're kind of 
they're kind of nailing it in terms of being the people of God in, in the first century. I believe that when that is the case for a church, that the practice that they may best emphasize would be the practice of worship. Of worship. Of corporate worship. Of gathering together to worship the Lord. Just quickly. Worship. We've thought about it probably most of our lives. For many of us, it's been a part of our weekly experience or weekly rhythm. What is it? What is it? Is it just coming together and singing? Well, yeah, worship through tithes and offerings, a little throw in giving. Worship through hearing of the word, or maybe a sermon. Okay, so those are the elements of worship, but what is it? Worship, as one author has suggested, is the human response to the divine initiative. Worship, those elements that I mentioned just a second ago that make up a service of worship, is simply our response to God. A couple of things about how to grow in our own experience of worship. One such important element is that we adequately prepare. It requires that we have a sense of holy expectancy. The early church is witness of this. They gathered with anticipation, knowing that the risen Christ was present with them. For us to cultivate that, the best way is not to begin 15 minutes before you leave your house on Sunday morning. Oh yeah, I, I, it's time for me to, to start listening to, to the Lord. Although I would encourage that and, and don't want to discount the way that the Lord can speak to us even in our hour or, or, or so together here. It's learning to live with a perpetual openness to Jesus as being present with us. It requires an awareness that any element of our day could include teaching and communication from the Lord Jesus. If you've heard God's voice throughout the week and, and tuned your ear to the voice of the Spirit throughout the week, it's clear that you'll believe that you'll hear it during our times of worship together. And number two, it's, it's much easier to catch the whispers of the Spirit, the still small voice of the Spirit. So prepare well. Another important element is coming together. We've talked about the fact that even a year ago at this time, we were not together. There's a reason that we prioritize this time together because we believe that something happens here as we corporately gather that doesn't happen in private worship. One author wrote that what, what it is that occurs could be summarized this way. A quickening presence pervades us, breaking down some part of the special privacy and isolation of our individual lives and then blending our spirits with a super-individual life and power. At that point, an objective, dynamic presence enfolds us all, 
nourishes our souls, speaks comfort with us, and quickens us in depths that had before been slumbering. Corporate public worship reminds us that this walk toward godliness, this commitment to a life of discipleship, is not something we do alone. Isolation is one of the most discouraging elements of the human existence. Think of the way that when God created the heavens and the earth, and people were together in relationship and in relationship with God, that God said it was good. We are intended for relationship. There are studies being very early on, studies being done now, in regard to uh, the way public health, and, and what a difficult decision those who have such responsibilities were forced to make. But the impact, the impact that this year of six feet and isolation has had on our psyches. It's very interesting to look at the way that it has impacted different age groups differently. But the reminder is clear that we are created to be together. Now, obviously, there are times where, or there are times when, that is not the best option, but it cannot be viewed as the long-term solution, right? And part of, part of our walk with the Lord together, and part of the reason that we gather and prioritize church attendance and, and, and gathering together is to remind ourselves that we are walking this road together. So as we fully engage in worship, as we prepare well, as we gather together, we will be a transformed people. If you want to know if, if, if worship is effective, if you want to know if you're worshiping well, if it begins with holy expectancy, worship will lead to greater obedience. To say it in the negative, if it does not propel, if our times of worship do not propel us into greater obedience to the word of the Lord, then it has not been worship. Worship is time spent intentionally in the presence of God, and, and time in the presence of God naturally transforms our hearts and begins to bend our hearts towards the will of the Spirit. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster outlines a litany of steps that worship includes. I'm just going to kind of roll through them very quickly. I'll begin by saying that you learn to worship best by worshiping. It's one of those things that you get better at, I think is the right word, as you do it. I so appreciate the way that each of you prioritize our time together. It's a witness of your commitment to the Lord. It's a witness to each other and an encouragement to each other. To urge one another on to good works, as the epistle says. That said, you and I are capable of improving our worship, both personal and corporate. And as a Result being transformed more fully into Christ's image. 
Those are smaller than I thought they would be. <laughs> Here, actually. So what do we do? How, what are some of the steps that we can take as we seek to focus in on this practice of spiritual life? Learn to practice the presence of God daily. A reminder that whether we are in this room or in our car or in our home or in our workplace or in our school or, or taking a walk outside, whatever the case may be, that God is present with us. That God's presence in this room is not somehow enhanced. We're just more aware of it. Find ways to prepare, as we mentioned a moment ago. Boy, to, to get real practical for myself, make sure you get enough sleep on Saturday night. Hmm? Certainly true and a struggle for me sometimes. Maybe before you leave your home, maybe before or maybe during our, our, our prelude, to examine your heart and consciously open your spirit up to the spirit of the Lord. Reminding yourself and reminding the Lord that you are setting aside this time to focus your thoughts on Him and making yourself a vessel to whom the Lord can speak and through whom you would like the Lord to work. Have a willingness to be gathered in the power of the Lord. You know, I, I think it's, goodness gracious, been 25 or 30 years ago now, there was a, 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 such a strange pairing of words. Maybe you all remember this. The worship wars. The worship wars. Wars. Well, what kind of music should we sing? Right? That was the in some churches, I'm in multiple hundreds of churches led churches to split. Well, I think we should have drums and guitars and sing only uh, only uh, praise and worship choruses. I think we should sing just hymns and and have you know just a piano or maybe have no instruments at all. And, and there were there were like I said, huge churches split in in. And how heartbreaking for the Lord Jesus that congregations got so distracted by their own preferences that they missed the point of their existence in a lot of ways. So sometimes we have to let go of our own preference. And instead, desires of the life of God would rise within our congregation. During the course of worship, there will be distractions. Some of them external, some of them internal. And sometimes we can become so, so focused on, oh, I need to focus in on what's going on here. I need to focus in on what's going on here. We miss what's going on here. Right? So you absorb the distraction, be it external or internal, with a sense of acceptance and then return to what's going on. This is one I, I struggle greatly with. And, and not, not just a cute little blue-eyed, blonde-headed girl, right? The little, the little one. <laughs> Sometimes it's internal. Okay, what, what is it that I'm 
what is it that I need to say next? What is it that I need to do next? Is the, is the, is the screen matched up with the, with the words that are in the hymnal? And, and all this stuff going through my head. All of, it, all of it important. But not the reason we gather. Not the reason I gather. Shouldn't be. Instead, to intentionally place myself in the presence of God. And then lastly, learn to offer, to offer a sacrifice of worship. There are times, if we are honest, there are times, if we are honest, that the sacrifice may be showing up. There are times where it would be, boy, it was kind of nice to stay home, sleep in, sit outside. Right? Saw an old, I'll, I'll wrap up here, saw an old cartoon or story or something. Was this... Uh, yeah, this this adult male was living at home, and his mother came, and it's time to wake up. It's time to get ready for church. I don't want to go. I'm too tired. Comes back twenty minutes later. Come on, it's time to get time to go. They'll miss you. And then he says something to the effect of, "Well, I guess they will, since I'm the pastor." <laughs> Hey, if, if, if I had to say, if, 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 if the Lord was standing before me and asked me, and probably you too, every Sunday, do you hop out of bed? Let's go! Probably not. Right? But, but, it's the commitment we've made to each other. And hey, there will be Sundays when we are not here. And that's, don't, don't misunderstand. But all things being equal, and all things being possible, even Sundays when we don't necessarily feel like gathering, even Sundays when we don't necessarily feel like worshiping, part of the spiritual life says, I'm going to make an effort. And my sacrifice is going to be my attendance, my being there. It's a time for us to say to each other and to ourselves, I need to be with the people of God. They are my people. And we're committed to seeking the Lord together. Oh Lord, as we seek to become more full worshipers of you, may we be encouraged, even as we conclude our time of worship this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.